From the beautiful city of Hollywood, we bring you Film Forward, the official podcast of the Los Angeles Diversity Film Festival. On today's episode of Film Forward, we're joined by director and producer Tommy Oliver. His new documentary, Juice World Into the Abyss, is an immersive and in depth look at the all too short life of rapper Juice World. Tommy, thanks for being here today, brother. Thank you for having me. And congratulations on the film. It's really powerful. Thank you. I appreciate that. Talk to us about how this project came to be. A lot of the documentary is comprised of footage that was shot by his videographer. Was this something that you pitched or did this film find its way to you? It actually found its way to me. And it was an interesting process because Sean Fennessy from The Ringer saw a doc that I did called 40 Years a Prisoner at Toronto. And for some reason, he reached out or The Ringer reached out and thought I would be the right person for this. And that started the whole process. Because on paper, those are two very different films. (laughs) But... You know, in watching both of them, I do see some similarities. So what was it like for you going from that film to this film, which is a bit of a a stretch away from it? I mean, each project is its own thing. And Mm -hmm. I went into this not trying to make it any one thing, not trying to force it into a preconceived idea of what it could be or what it should be. And as part of the process, I got dumped a hard drive with hundreds of hours of footage, I think spread across 8,000 clips. And I just started to go through it. So my team and I, we created a process to catalog and rate and understand all of what we had. And the more we did that, the more I realized that I wanted to be able to try to tell the story through his own words as much as possible. And so it just sort of took on a an approach and a life of its own. Yeah, I can't imagine just kind of going through that much footage. If you can, take us a little bit deeper into what the process was like with you and your editing team. How do you begin to log that footage into <laughs> anything that's like, you know, uh, we can make a story from this? It was hard. It was so hard for a couple of reasons. We got the hard drive in January and HBO and The Ringer were like, so we can have this premiere in December, right? And I was like, no. (laughs) (laughs) They're like, okay, okay, okay. And they came back again. They're like, look, no, no pressure, but we can do this in December, right? And I was like, no. (laughs) So we, um, we found this piece of software called Kino, which was really helpful because we're able to essentially distribute the workload amongst my co-editor, Joe Kehoe and I, a couple of AEs and a couple of researchers, and we tagged everything. We keyworded everything. We rated everything. And it took us months to be able to really understand what was there. And a big part of the process was built around the idea of once we were really in the edit to be able to go as quickly as possible. And Mm -hmm. there's very few things as frustrating as being in the groove and trying to find something and then you can't find it and it takes you three hours and that that groove and that flow is just gone. Right. And as somebody who's an editor, I kind of cut at the speed of thought. I like being able to do stuff. Like as soon as I have an idea to 
finesse it, to massage it, to play around with it, and needed to be able to, to do that. And so that's the technical side of it. The other side is that it was a really emotional journey because mm-hmm. I, I was kind of watching the equivalent of reading somebody's diary and somebody who was a really sweet kid, somebody who was a really kind kid that I would never be able to have a conversation with. And I remember sitting exactly where I am right now in my office, in my edit suite, going through stuff, just me, just me and Juice. And it was hard sometimes. Right. When you were able to set yourself up for success and you had everything organized and you could really get into creating the piece, did you know initially what you wanted to say with the film? It's a heavy burden knowing that this artist, the weight of his voice on the young generation and just like how personal his music was to so many people. Did you know what you wanted the film to say or was it more letting Juice say what he wanted to say? It was very much letting Juice say what he wanted to say. It it Mm -hmm. wasn't, hey, I've got this idea that I'm going to try to fit him into or I've got this idea of who he is and I'm going to try to find things that support that. It was, I want to support as much as possible the person that I understood him to be the things that were important to him. And it's also the reason that the only interviews in the film are of the people that you see in the archival. And so it was told from his perspective and with the people that he wanted around him and who were around him, sort of in the Wizard of Oz kind of way, where you wake up and it's like, oh, and you were there and you were there and you were there too. (laughs) Right, right. But that was it. I mean, I knew that... I think the only thing that I, I really knew going in was that I knew we would handle his death, but I didn't want to end on his death because right. he is and was so much more than that. As an artist and as a man, it seemed like you have people who talk about just beyond his artistry and his talent. You mentioned those interviews. I want to touch a little bit more on those. Obviously, as you mentioned, like those were people who were seen in the archival footage and people who were very close to Jared. But you kind of stepping in as the filmmaker, how do you create that trust with those people as well? You need to create that trust as a filmmaker for them to be able to open up to you. So talk to us about your process with those interviews. So it was a couple of things. My crew was very, very small, mm-hmm. which I think contributes to comfort and not feeling like it's a, a massive production. And for most of the interviews, it was either two of us or three of us at most. Right. And then it was just a conversation. Like, again, I didn't go in wanting specific sound bites. I didn't go in wanting them to talk about only this limited number of things. It was a conversation. It was, tell me about Juice. Tell me the first time you remember talking to Juice. Tell me the first time you heard a song. What happened after that? What happened after that? And it became a really comfortable conversation that didn't have an agenda beyond understanding why Juice was important to them and what the important things to that individual was to their relationship. And I remember Cole and Ski and Scheme, they were having a conversation and they posted something on Twitter and they were like, dude, that was great. It was like a, a therapy session with me. And it was the kindest compliment because it was really just wanting to talk about somebody who was very important to them. And I also remember Cole saying, it's like, I hadn't spoken about him like that 
ever mm. since his passing. And so to be able to to reminisce and talk about him openly and with joy, but also going through the hard stuff was really nice. And so in addition to that, I made it very clear to everybody that I was going to tell an unbiased, authentic story of Juice. And that's what it was. It wasn't a hit piece. It wasn't hagiography. It was just trying to tell a story from his perspective as honestly and accurately as possible. And I think they appreciated that. Absolutely. And it works so well. The film opens with like just this powerhouse of a freestyle. Obviously, I'm sure like in the hundreds of hours of footage, you had so many powerhouse freestyles <laughs> that, you know, that were there. But when did you know that that was the way that you were going to start the film? It's a really good question. And I cut the first 10 minutes of the film very early on. Like Joe and I, my, my co-editor, we were playing around trying to figure out flow, trying to figure out a lot of things. And then it just hit me. I cut that. I cut the piece that came after in the hotel. I cut the Lucid Dreams intro sequence. Mm-hmm. And I cut all of that in about a span of three hours. And then it didn't change the rest of the film. And so that opening freestyle, the thing about it is it's so damn good. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's one of my favorite songs ever. And I mean that. And he just made it up on the spot. And it's so good. And so I wanted to sort of train the audience a bit so they would know what to expect. And maybe you don't realize it's a freestyle in the very beginning, but as it goes on, you lean forward a little bit more and you realize that there's something else going on here. And on top of that, I wanted to help the audience to understand that his freestyles in a way operate as his interviews. He tells you everything you need to know about him, Mm -hmm. about the film, about his journey, and that opening freestyle. And if you really listen to the lyrics, he talks about his struggles. He talks about the things that he's dealing with. He talks about so many of those things right there. And I just wanted people to see who he was. And so they could get a feel for for the ride they would be going on. I think it was a masterful choice, my friend. I watched it. And the first time I watched it, I was just kind of really in awe of the talent. And, mm-hmm. and you could see it like kind of coming off the dome and he's flowing. It's like, man, this guy... This guy's really talented. And I watched it back a second time after watching the whole film and knowing where the film goes and knowing his story. And then you see him foreshadowing pretty much everything and just kind of letting you know about his character, the man he is, his goals and aspirations, his life, his his fears. It's a powerful thing. So for my audience listening to this, that scene is worth a few watches because you really learn a lot about the man in that one scene. You really do. And I, and I appreciate that. Look, everybody around me was completely supportive. And so mm-hmm. The Ringer, they were incredible. HBO was incredible. And I told the story that I wanted to tell in the way that I wanted to tell it. And is it a bit atypical starting a film with an unbroken freestyle for, I don't know, three to four minutes? Absolutely. Was it the right thing as far as I was concerned? Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. My final question for you is, in the film, you you ask a few people about 
Jared's legacy, uh, Juice's legacy. And I pose the same question to you now, having lived with this footage for, you know, years and, and you've just been deep in his story for so long. You know, as a fan, it is as somebody who kind of like watched years of his life in a albeit odd way. What do you think his legacy will be? I think Cole Bennett sums it up pretty nicely in the end, where he talks about both the person and the artist. I think he was an incredible person. And I'm really happy that people will get to see that side of him because I didn't realize it. I didn't realize how sweet, goofy, and kind he was, which I appreciate. I appreciate the quality of his character and how that didn't change despite his enormous success and access. And then Bill Simmons, throughout this process, he asked me, he's like, why does nobody think of Juice like Kurt Cobain? And my answer was, it's because they haven't seen the film yet. <laughs> right. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, no, for like, sure. So, so many of us, like, we hear the music, but we didn't understand the genius behind it. And that word is thrown around a lot, but he was an absolute musical genius. And so to see him work, to see him create, to see his process is something that I think will change and elevate the perception of him as an artist, and rightfully so. I agree, my friend. Juice World Into the Abyss. It's going to be streaming on HBO Max December 16th. Check it out. Let us know what you think. Once again, Tommy, thank you for doing this, sir. Appreciate you. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you all for listening to Film Forward, and we'll catch you next time. Our recording engineer and mixer is Anselm Kennedy. The podcast is produced by Anselm, Sonia Maru, and yours truly. Thanks for joining us on Film Forward, and you'll hear us next time.